Episode 123 of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting Podcast Network. Sean St. Jacques back here with you for another week of Knicks and NBA talk. Um, We're going to get to the Knicks uh, later on in the show. Um, I'll get to why I'm a little uh, down right now uh, off the jump, and we'll get to that in a second. But uh, we will go through the Knicks uh, last week, bit of struggles over the last couple of games. We'll dive into that um, and where the Knicks go from here. It was a 2-2 two and two week between podcasts. Um, and we'll dive into the two wins and then the last two performances, which which left a lot to be desired. Uh, just to, again, a footnote, won't get the chance to dive in on the Bucks game. Bucks game happening the night after the podcast gets released, so we will talk about that game and the rest of the week on next week's podcast. Um, first and foremost, thank you guys as always for listening. Uh, we were touching on a, a rough topic uh, off the top, so that's why I'm a little down. Don't feel great <laughs> going into this show, uh, to be honest with you, and I apologize for that. But uh, we've got to talk about what's going on in Phoenix uh, right now. This just came out, I believe, the day of the recording. Um, with the Phoenix ownership uh, and Robert Sarver in particular. So again, we'll get to the Knicks in a second, uh, probably second half of the show, but we have to touch on this. Um, I, I feel like it's important to touch on it and shine light on it as much as I can uh, and as much as um, I feel like is necessary. We, we need to touch on it. So uh, I, I, I just don't, I, you know, this is a podcast, you know, for Knicks fans, but Knicks fans are educated fans, and I feel like we need to discuss this, and I feel like it's important to bring it to the forefront and to lead the show with it, because frankly, in my opinion, you can disagree with this if you want, but it's more important than the Knicks dropping a couple of games in the early parts of the season. So let's let's touch on it. Um, Basically, ESPN, uh, over the last few hours, has released reports over Suns owner Robert Sarver, uh, over his, I believe, 17-year run owning the Phoenix Suns organization. Um, it's It's been one of those things where he's had, um, you know, ups and downs when you're looking at on-the-court success. Obviously, the Suns are coming off a trip to the NBA Finals uh, where they lost in six games to the Milwaukee Bucks. Um so on the court, you could argue things are, are going well, but it's what's he, what he's been doing off the court that has been extremely alarming to many people, So, uh, including myself. So basically, uh, you know, just looking through you know, ESPN's article earlier today, it, it was just, um, and I'm not going to touch on everything, but, the, but there's a few things I did want to mention uh, from Baxter Holmes' piece. That came out, uh, again, we're recording this in the late afternoon. This came out around noon on Thursday. So, essentially, the first thing that's referenced is a, uh, a post-game interaction um, after a, a game in 2016, actually almost five years to the day, October 30th, 2016. Um, it was at, uh, I, I think it's called Talking Stick Resort Arena, in downtown Phoenix, um, Earl Watson was coaching his third game 
as the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. They're playing the, you know, the, the peak Warriors, one of the peak Warrior teams. Um, essentially, the Warriors pulled away late in the game. They won. Suns, uh, you know, we're now starting that season uh, 0-3. Suns majority owner Robert Sarver went into the coach's locker room after the game. um, And this is according to Earl Watson, the coach. And basically said, quote, "Um, You know why? Or I should say, let let me rephrase that. He said, quote, you know, why does Draymond Green get to run up and down the court and say the N-word? Robert Sarver kept repeating the N-word several times in a row after that, uh, allegedly. Watson then said, quote, you can't say that. Sarver replied, why? Draymond Green says the N-word. Watson again replied, you can't bleeping say that. Um, and that is apparently the tip of the iceberg as far as how Starver deals with um, employees and talking about players in the NBA in front of Watson, who is black and Hispanic. This is just one anecdote. Apparently ESPN conducted interviews with more than 70 former and current Suns employees throughout Sarver's 17-year tenure as majority owner. And they describe it as, quote, and I'm quoting the article here, a toxic and sometimes hostile workplace under Sarver. Um, Some of the sources told ESPN that he's used racially insensitive language repeatedly in the workplace. He is also... Uh, used things that have been considered inappropriate and misogynistic, including Sarver, uh, according to the article, passing around a picture of his wife in a bikini to employees and speaking about times his wife performed oral sex on him. Um, I, there's there's other things here involving that. I'm not going to touch on them. Uh, that's that's a, That's more than enough. On that, um, I was hesitant to even say that, to be honest with you. So if you want to read more about any of that, um, ESPN.com is the place to go for that. I feel uncomfortable, honestly, even saying that, but I you know, I, I wanted to give at least a little bit of context to that part of it. Um, some of the other you know words he used um, were pretty nasty and pretty um, pretty vulgar. Um, one one son's co-owner, I will mention this because this is worth uh, bringing up as well, said, quote, the level of misogyny and racism is beyond the pale. It's embarrassing as an owner. Um, a former son's basketball executive said, quote, there's literally nothing you can tell me about him from a misogynistic or race standpoint that would surprise me. That might have been the most damning statement in the article. That might be what sums this whole thing up. Literally anything involving race and misogyny, he wouldn't be surprised if he said it. That tells you the kind of human being Robert Sarver is. That's an 
Oh, that is a low blow, and and it sounds like a deserved blow, based on some of the examples I've already laid out to you, which are just disgusting, and twisted, and absolutely awful. So, I have to say, um, I can't say I'm totally surprised about this, not because I know Robert Sarver, not because I know anything about him, but really, I mean, since we found out the stuff years ago about Donald Sterling, you know, what we've seen uh, recently um, with with other ownership, or, or I should say other higher-ups around the NBA, right? Uh, I believe most recently uh, with Minnesota, what's been going on. So I, there's a lot of there's a lot of um, oh man, a lot of things to talk about here. You know that that are just you know rehashing things that that need to be rehashed. It sounds like, but also the state of sports ownership is, or at least of what we know of sports ownership, it is getting more and more laid out and it it looks terrible the way people are treated i mean listen you know knicks fans know with james dolan stuff that's come out during the pandemic and and over the years in general about james dolan that that has really uh led you to believe that he's not a great guy and that's putting it extremely mildly um it's it's a difficult thing because there's, there's two things that come to mind with this, right? First of all, this is unacceptable from anybody, whether you're an owner or you're a guy selling hot dogs on the side of the street. But number two, power is a very dangerous thing. Having power over somebody in in your mind and over people in general whether they work for you or whether they show up to your arena can really mess with you you know and and it's not just in america there's countless stories you can go through any sport any place in the world and you'll hear stories like this sometimes even worse stories than this you know, I mean, you know, I, I use Premier League references on this show sometimes. I'm a massive Liverpool supporter. When when the Super League happened, or tried to happen, boy, you saw some of the worst of, of the owners, including the owner of my club, John W. Henry and Fenway Sports Group, where you just lose respect for them, you know, that they're not going to get back. And... The recent Newcastle takeover and takeovers in general in England in particular, also in France with with PSG, where entire countries are taking over football clubs in Europe. Newcastle has just been taken over essentially by Saudi Arabia. The Qataris own, I believe, PSG. And Mohammed bin Salman, who... I believe is the prince of Saudi Arabia, and I apologize if I have that incorrect, but he basically runs the country, has killed journalists, 
has been extremely misogynistic, even though he, you know, is letting women drive and this stuff, which is progressive in Saudi Arabia, but it's like, give me a break everywhere else. You're not doing anything to make, you know, this better between men and women. It's, it's one of those things, or at least not bridging that gap. It's one of those things where we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. So you assume because the team is winning, it's above board, you know, and you forget who's running the organization. I've done that. I've done that too. Because at the end of the day, right? I mean, this is, this is fans. Winning's the most important thing. I mean, I've seen Newcastle fans at the first game with the new owners from Saudi Arabia in charge, literally wearing the garbs that the Saudis wear. And I immediately think, do you know what they've done? Did you even look into it? Or does it not matter that much? You don't. You really couldn't care less as long as Newcastle win. The thing with Phoenix here is that the winning's already been done, or that they've gotten to one of their high peaks. They they got to an NBA Finals last year, and they they didn't win. And the other thing that's worth mentioning again is that this has been going on for seventeen years. These examples I've given you are just a couple over these 17 years. Just a just just scratching the iceberg, barely even tapping on it really. The the article if you want to read it in its entirety is online. It, it's it's a massive piece. I don't have time to go through all of it. It's really long. But this is through years, through the recent couple of years here with the current team in some regard. So, this is this is as bad as it gets. It's as bad as it gets. And I know that this is, what I'm about to say, might not be able to happen, right? Because it would, you know, mess with the system to a certain extent. But there's got to be a better process for vetting these owners. There just has to be. And forget about the NBA. I mean, it's bad enough in the NBA. That the, I immediately then thought of, man, if this is what's coming out, you know, about players, or sorry, about owners in the NBA. Imagine the NFL with what we've already know with what we already know about John Gruden now. I mean, and what we should be finding out, but we're not going to find out about Robert Snyder. God, imagine what it's what it's like in the NBA. Sorry, in the NFL with some of this stuff. A league that's not even trying to help with race relations, really. They're not. They're just not. The players are. The owners couldn't give less of a crap if they if they tried. They couldn't care less. I mean, one former female Suns employee mentioned that Sarver's antics wrecked her life and she was, quote, contemplating suicide at one point. I mean, that's the kind of vulgar commentary we're talking about here. 
And I, and I, I hate to say this, but I can't say I'm surprised at all. I can't. I'd be naive to say that. I'd be, I'd be naive to say that I was shocked to read this today. We know too much now. There's, you, you, there's too much information out there to read this headline today and be like, whoa, how did that, what? It, it's, it's, it's being uneducated. And, and I can't imagine Robert Sarver is the only one. I just can't. There's too much, too much known now. And somehow still not enough known. Because there's other owners. Whether it's in America, in other sports, maybe in the same sport, but overseas. This is a world issue. And this whole thing that, that, I, that I might get again with, stick to sports, how can I hear? How can, I, how can I lead with the Knicks when this problem is going on? It's, it, in my opinion, it's irresponsible. It's irresponsible to do that. And listen, we will talk about the Knicks. It's a Knicks podcast. I'm not neglecting the Knicks this week. But, but to lead with them is disrespectful. It's disrespectful to what the real conversation over these next few days and months and really as long as it takes that needs to be had to, to, to fix this issue. People that have power over people should not treat other people like this. That's the bottom line. And I'm not saying all owners are like this. I have no idea. But with what we already know, and what I know from you know following sports across the world, people in power act like this. White men that have power act like this. Saying these racial things, saying these misogynistic things. It, it's just, there's too much info. It's happening way too often. And again, men in general. I mentioned bin Salman, the Saudi Arabian prince. And now he's gonna have he's gonna have control over Newcastle United. I mean, what does that say about the Premier League that they're allowing that to happen? What does that say that the that Man City was allowed to be taken over by a corrupt ownership group? There's not enough being done here. There's just not enough being done across the globe on this issue. Whether it's just from somebody who's really good in the financial sector to literally people who are running countries. I mean, imagine Joe Biden owning the San Antonio Spurs or something like that. That's what we're dealing with in other parts of the world. Literally world leaders through roundabout ways, figuring out ways to own sporting clubs who have done the most vicious things, the most vicious crimes. That's why sports is intersecting with real life. That's why. Couldn't be more plain to see. So I, I don't know what else to say, to be honest. 
Besides, I, I can't condemn this behavior more. I hope you uh, go read the rest of the article. That's all I can really say on it, to be honest. Again, there's a lot of, I, I want to warn the people that are going to go read it. There's a lot of pretty nasty things that are said that are documented in the article. Uh, there's a lot of imagery from the wording, not actually in the article, but you know, not pictures, but the imagery that you'll get from, again, even my example that I used earlier, which I, I you know, was hesitant to use, but it paints the picture pretty clearly and pretty damningly on Robert Sarver. And I can't condemn what he's done enough. And the Suns should be firing him or somehow getting rid of him. I, you know, they can't fire the owner, obviously. But the NBA is going to have to step in here. The NBA is going to have to step in do an investigation, most likely come to the right conclusion, and get Robert Sarver the heck out of here. That's the bottom line. We'll take a break. We'll talk Knicks next on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting podcast network. We'll wrap up the show talking Knicks, trying to be a little bit more upbeat uh, this second half of the show. Thank you guys for bearing with me. Uh, I felt it was important to talk about what's, what's going on right now with Phoenix um, and with society and with ownership and with sports owners in general. So uh, I'd, I'd love to hear what you guys think about it. Uh, comments below. Clubhouse is a place you can hit me up now, obviously, and also uh, on Twitter at SJ7. So any of those places are the way to go uh, to get in touch with me. So let's talk about Knicks uh, to wrap up this week's episode. Uh, a bit of an up and down week to say the least. It was a good start to the week for the Knicks. Um, two pretty solid wins. I mean, I, I will say this. Um, can't be thrilled with the way that the first game uh, ended in some ways because the Knicks had the Bulls dead to rights again, much like with the Celtics, and they let them back in the game like they did with the Celtics. And luckily, DeMar DeRozan missed a step-back jumper at the buzzer, or the Knicks would have thrown a game away in the early parts of the season. Knicks dominated, I thought, at times in this game. They were pretty much leading wire to wire the first three quarters. It was a tight game, you know? It was a tight game. Bulls played well, I thought. Um, But the Knicks outplayed them for for about three and three quarters. Quarters? (laughs) Like three and three-fourths of the game. Knicks were the better team, and then the Bulls just made this late dash, and uh, again, the Knicks defensively, not good enough, not good decision-making with the ball in their hands. Uh, they let DeMar DeRozan get a decent look uh, at a win, and he came up short. I think he airballed it, actually, and that was that. So, Knicks survived it, 104-103. to 103. Rose was in double figures. Randall struggled but still had 16 rebounds and 9 assists after just scoring 13 points. Kemba Walker had a big night, 21 points for the Knicks, and R.J. Barrett came up big, 20 points uh, for New York in the win. Evan Fournier, despite his struggles, Knicks pulled out the win. So, important stuff. You know, I think that was a big win at the time for the Knicks to, you know, make a little bit of a statement you know, the Bulls are a lot better 
and uh, it was important to get that win. It really was. So big one there for New York, and then they followed it up with a, uh, a pretty solid win, I thought, against the Pelicans. They faced some adversity, you know, and they needed somebody to step up in this game, right? I, I felt like that... Felt like this game was kind of crying out for a hero. You know, Julius Randle was struggling. Fournier was was better. Walker was good, but somebody else, right? Somebody else needed to step up, and, and RJ Barrett came through with a career high 35 points and just hit all the big shots down the stretch. And in the end, it was enough. 123, 117. RJ hit a couple of huge threes, had a couple of big layups. They kept letting him go to his left, and the commentators were saying it all night that the that, uh, Pelicans just kept letting RJ do too much to the left, and the, he'll kill you if you do that. And uh, it was great to just see him go off and get the Knicks a, uh, another nice road win. So he, come, he came up big. Gibson had 13 off the bench, which was great. Alec Burks was in double figures. Also a big deal. And the Knicks came out with a 123-117 win. You know, and, and listen, Valanchunas had a big night. They had five starters in double figures, one bench player in double figures. That was just a game you needed somebody on your team to step up on the road. And, and the third-year man, R.J. Barrett, who needs to keep doing this. You know, he gotta, he's got to have performances like this throughout the season if he's going to improve. And... It was just great to see him get one of those and the Knicks get a a hard-fought victory against a Pelicans team that's struggling but giving teams a lot of trouble. No question about that. And then uh, the the dud part of the week uh, where I really thought the Knicks missed a couple of big opportunities. Uh, I'd argue the the most disappointing of the two is the first one um, against the Raptors. I really thought the Knicks were going to go and take it to Toronto in this game and they just weren't able to do it I felt this was an extremely disappointing performance and against again a Raptors team the Knicks are better than no question about it in my mind you know the Raptors are the fifth team in this division and it really came down to that third quarter and I I was extremely disappointed with the way the Knicks played that with with, you know again they, they had a great first quarter they kind of let Toronto get back into it in the second quarter, and then Toronto just dominated in the third quarter. I think they outscored the Knicks by 16 in the third quarter. Unacceptable, you know? Unacceptable on your home floor against a very beatable Toronto team to do that. Um, Listen, Toronto has had a decent start. I think they were unbeaten on the road um, coming into that game, so now they were 3-0 after that game on the road, but I still feel like... um, that, that that's unacceptable. You can't do that on your home floor. And the Knicks the Knicks paid for it. 113-104. I, I think the biggest frustration for me was that I mean, how do you let OG Ananobi get 36 points? I mean, that's unacceptable. Unacceptable. The Knicks did what they had to do with Van Fleet. You know, they basically neutralized Achua and Birch off the bench, who who had the big minutes. Uh you know, as a uh, as a bench player in the rotation for Toronto, you know Gary Trent Jr. is probably going to get that mark sometimes, but he 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 got most of it from inside the three point line. He only shot four of eleven from deep. 
He ends up with 26 points. That can't happen. Knicks have to you know, ask themselves some questions here defensively. They really do. And then again, I, with all due respect, I know OG Ananobi's a really good player, but 36 points, that's unacceptable. Unacceptable. He cannot, he, you, you know, you shut down Van Fleet, right? You, you, you gotta, you gotta limit OG Ananobi to less than 30 points. That, that's just the bottom line. 36 points. Unacceptable. And, you know, listen, Barrett was great again. You know, Fournier off from three. Kemba Walker was, was okay. Not great. I thought. And that third quarter, there was just it was just poor defensively. It was really poor, really, really poor. And under Tom Thibodeau, you know, not good enough, not good enough at all. And and then it continued into Indiana. It really did. It's as if the third quarter played out again in the first quarter against the Pacers. Knicks got rolled over. They really did. I think they were outscored. Actually, it was almost the same amount. It was thirty-six twenty-two instead of. 38-22, and the Miles Turner just had his way. He really did. I think didn't he? I think he had six threes, seven threes. Was it seven threes? I'll have to double check that. Give me one sec here. If he hit seven threes, and the Pacers are three and six. I mean, how many threes did he hit? He hit seven threes. Miles Turner hit seven of ten from three. Nobody else hit more than two. Unacceptable. Just not good enough on the defensive end. And listen, Kemba Walker, with all due respect, cannot play 28 minutes and end up with four points. Can't happen. You got to be somewhere around 10 points. Four points. And I get he's hot and cold, but that's just not good enough. Barrett again, you know, had a decent night, 23 points. Randall was good, 18 and 14, but... He did have some costly turnovers. Knicks made a bit of a comeback in this game. I think they got it down to close to single digits at one point, but never really were able to uh, to be in there with a shout. And, and the Pacers, who have just had a really poor start to the season, closed the Knicks out in the fourth quarter. And, and the frustrations kind of continue. And again, I, I look at the defensive end. You know? I, I mean, I look there first. With this Knicks team, and uh, those last two games have been been tough watches. I, I watched a decent chunk of the Toronto game, and, and I think I watched the the second half of the Pacers game live and watched the highlights back. And it, it's it's poor defensively when it matters most. And uh, you know we're, we're running into this thing a little bit again, where the Knicks are having a bad quarter defensively, and, and it's costing them games. It's costing them games here. First quarter against Indiana, and then what turned out to be the, the latter stages of the fourth. but And then the third quarter against Toronto. Extremely, extremely poor on the defensive end. Literally, we're talking close to 40 points being allowed in a quarter here on two separate occasions. And it ends up costing you the game both times. Both times, that differential, if it's cut in half, Knicks are either right in the game or they win the game. You know, so it's extremely disappointing uh, to talk about these last two in particular because these are teams the Knicks should be beating. Knicks are better than the Raptors. They're better than Indiana. And uh, I, I again, I, I'd argue the Pacers won 
is bad, but the Raptors one is worse because that's at home. You, you can't let that happen on your home floor. So they backed it up with a pretty poor for poor performance, pardon, and now they've got to go to Milwaukee on Friday to face the Bucks, and it's going to be a really tough test uh, inside. No question about it. Nerlens Noel will will be back in the fold. How much he's going to play, I, I don't know. But Mitchell Robinson's going to have his hands full with Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I'm not sure how the Knicks are going to handle Chris Middleton. So we'll wait and see. It's, it's a tough stretch. That's why these games were so important in the early parts of the season. You know, you got to beat the Pacers. You got to beat the Raptors because now you've got the Bucks, Cleveland fine, but then you've got the Sixers away. And then the Bucks at home, Charlotte, Indiana, Orlando, Houston, and then a really tough schedule around Thanksgiving at Chicago, the Lakers and Phoenix at home, Atlanta and Brooklyn on the road, and then Chicago and Denver at home going into December. So, you know, these are the kind of games you have to win because then you're going to get bombarded with a really tough part of your schedule. The East is deep, you know, and then you throw in those Western Conference uh, swings as well. And it gets even trickier for this Knicks team. And listen, you know, I think Kemba Walker is still kind of figuring it out to a certain extent. He's he's getting his Jekyll and Hyde games out of him. Hopefully he'll be more consistent as the season goes on, right? You can we talked about Kemba on, on previous shows. Now it's early and he's you know off to a bit of a slow start. And despite what R.J. Barrett has done, he's been by far the biggest bright spot on this Nick team over these last four games, right? You look defensively with Tom Thibodeau as your head coach. He, he can't be happy with this at all. You know, it's pretty safe to say that Tom Thibodeau is going to be furious with these last two performances. Absolutely furious. So, it's got to be a very, very, very difficult last couple of days for for Tom Thibodeau. I'm sure he's absolutely furious because, frankly, this is not the Knicks. This is not the identity the Knicks have. You know, this is not the way this Knicks team is expected to play. So, it's one of those things where... Knicks are going to have to go back to the drawing board here. The Knicks are going to have to reestablish and reiterate their, their, their style, really. What's gotten them here, first and foremost. So, and, and I think that they'll be able to do that. You know, again, early parts of the season, eight games in. I'm, you know, trying to, trying to be as, you know, conservative here as I can in my takes because a lot can still happen. But this is a frustrating result. Two frustrating results. No question about it. But I hope you guys, you know, are are like me and are not overreacting. That's what I hope, right? I was was doing stuff with Clubhouse this past week and everyone's, you know, to be fair, I love the stuff we're doing with Clubhouse, right? I'm really enjoying the conversations. But just every once in a while, you get the, the overreaction police come in and we're getting, you know, these takes where I just go, oh man, like give it some time, you know, give it a couple of weeks. We haven't even played 10 games yet, you know, it's an 82 game season. Let's see how it plays out. Let's see what, you know, how teams adjust. 
You know? Like, I, I heard some hot takes about Boston last week. Boston's now 3-5. and five. You know? They're off to a slow start. But let's not overreact that way either. Let's not overreact and say, hey, Boston's a top-four team in the East. And then let's also not say, well, Boston might not make the playoffs 3-5. and five. So I, 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 try to, I try to be in the middle. I try, I'm, try, <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, put some context behind this, you know. And, I, and by the way, I do apologize. I'm a little congested today. I'm between nasal sprays at the moment. But listen, I, I, just to finish this off, and, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this, and then we'll get out of here for the week. But I just, it, it's one of those things where, yes, the, Knicks, the last two games the Knicks should have won, Let's not overreact. Now listen, they're going to have a tough test. You know, you guys will will either have listened to the podcast or maybe uh, just watched the Knicks-Bucks game before you listen to the podcast. You'll probably know the result of that game. It's a tough game for the Knicks. Very difficult. Tough game for anybody. They're the best team in the NBA, I'd argue, at the moment. Defending champs. And they're playing like it. But I think the other part of this is... This is the first time, first time this season the Knicks have dealt with some adversity. Some real adversity. Knicks have dodged a couple of bullets this year, you could argue. The Celtics game, they let get away in, in, in regulation. They pulled it out in double overtime. The Bulls game, should have had it won. They gave the Bulls a chance to win it at the end. They didn't take it. Well, now some of those defensive things have come up, and the Knicks are losing games. They've lost back-to-back games. Let's see how they respond. Let's see what they do in Milwaukee. Let's see what they do in Cleveland against Cleveland, I should say. Let's see how they respond. And, and then we'll, we'll we'll have a better gauge of where they are. You know, I, I think we really won't know where the Knicks stand, like the first flag being planted in, the first benchmark of the season, until probably game 20 through 25, that area of the season where we're about a fourth of the way through. Then you can kind of have a couple of takes like well you know Knicks have still got to improve there's a lot of things that the area a lot of areas the Knicks need to get better in or hey the Knicks have managed this pretty well they've been able to get through some of these issues and they're playing some good basketball they're looking pretty good they might actually exceed expectations that we had for them or somewhere in the middle yeah that that's where I try to to be especially in the NBA where the amount of overreactions you can have. I mean, there's only one other sport where you can have more overreactions in a season. And it, it's probably the NFL. I think with baseball, there's more opportunities, but but people try to, you know, give it more time, you know? Certainly more opportunities for overreactions in baseball is 162 games. But fans tend to let it breathe a little bit more with baseball. With the NFL, every week, sometimes between weeks, sometimes every day between weeks, there's overreactions. You know? NBA, let's, you know, Knicks fans, NBA fans, everybody, let's see what happens a little bit here. Again, we got to talk about it. The Knicks have not been great the last couple of games. Let's see how they do. Let's see how they respond. I sound like a, I sound like a parent right there. Not a parent. But you know what I'm trying to say. Like, let's let's see how they react. Let's see what Tom Thibodeau and the guys have done after the Bucks game, after the Cavs game. Let's see where they're at next week's show. And we'll see if they've been able to, to get through some of these, you know, again, early bumps and bruises, early twists and turns that are going to come uh, for any NBA team, you know? 
And, and, and again, every team will go through something like this, sometimes better or worse during the season. It's a long season. Let's see how the Knicks deal with it. We'll see, we'll see what they're made of going to Milwaukee a little bit. And we'll see if they can make it a statement game in Milwaukee against the defending champs. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Shock Shock Knicks podcast. Thank you guys, as always, for listening to the show. Thanks for helping me get through the first part of this show and bearing with me on that. Let me know what you think about the situation in Phoenix. Let me know what you think uh, about the Knicks uh, through eight games this season. Always curious to hear your guys' thoughts. Thank you guys, as always, for listening, and I will see you guys next time on the Shock Shock Knicks podcast on the Posting and Toasting podcast network.